Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. And it reads, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord our God is a promise God. He loves to make promises. He loves to not only make promises, but he loves to explain those promises. And in making those promises and explaining those promises, the Lord our God loves to keep his promises. And we love that God is a promise God. However, if we are understanding this morning and if we are honest this morning, sometimes the Lord's promises are difficult. The Lord promises difficulty. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, right, God promised difficulty to eat promise that she would have it hard in bearing children. That's a promise, beloved. That's a promise God made. That's a promise God explains. And all the women say amen. That's a promise God keeps. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, God made a promise of difficulty to Adam. Promised Adam that it would be difficult for him to make a living, that the ground would not easily yield itself to fruitfulness on his behalf. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13, God made a promise of difficulty to Abraham, promised Abraham that his descendants would be servants, slaves in a foreign land for over 400 years. Difficulty. God promises difficulty. And yet even in promising difficulty, God also promises deliverance. He promises difficulties and he promises deliverance. To Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Though he had made a promise of difficulty, he had also made a promise of deliverance. As he had promised that he would send one who would overcome their enemy and deliver them from all their difficulties. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13, 
God promised not only the difficulty of Abraham's seeds being in slavery, but he also promised that he would deliver them, deliver them out of slavery. The promises of the kingdom of God in this world then, beloved, is to understand, right, that they are promises of difficulty and deliverance. Now, all we want to do is focus on the promises of deliverance. But the fact of the matter is, God promises difficulties. You don't have to say amen. I know I'm right about it. So not only God promised that in the Old Testament, Jesus does the same. As we have already been hearing, Jesus does the same. Last week we saw, didn't we, how Jesus promised his disciples that difficulties were coming. Promised them that the difficult things were going to come, but he also promised them deliverance through the Spirit. Not one, but both. And again this morning, as we come to chapter 16, Jesus is picking up on this same theme. The promise of Holy Spirit is the promise that you will overcome the promise of difficulty. That's what the promise of Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit is promised to you so that you will overcome the difficulties that I have promised. This is what it means being a disciple of Jesus Christ in this world. The difficulties will tempt you to fall away. God promises the difficulties, and the difficulties come, and the difficulties will tempt you to fall away. They will tempt you to drift away. They will tempt you toward faithlessness. And yet the encouragement from the Spirit and the Word of God is this. Don't give up. Why? Because Holy Spirit comes and will be there to help. To help you persevere. Through the promise of difficulty to embrace the promises of deliverance. This is the point that Jesus begins making with his disciples. Jesus was preparing his disciples for the trials and the temptations that were to come their way after his departure. And they were sure to come their way for testifying, witnessing, and following after him. And so Jesus warned them. He warns them because he doesn't want them to be surprised or caught off guard by this persecution that's coming, by these difficulties. As they say, forewarned is what? Forearmed. And he forearms them because he forewarns them. Chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Because the temptations are coming, the trials are coming, and the trials and the temptations will lead you to want to fall away. But I have said these things. I have told you these things so as to keep you from falling away. Why? Because the trouble is coming. They will put you out of the synagogues. I promise you. I promise you. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, Jesus is promising. Jesus promises to them that they are going to die. 
I know they don't hear him. You're going to see. They, they, they don't hear what he's saying. That, that totally missed them like it missed most of us when you read that. That Jesus promises his disciples, when they kill you, the one who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Now listen, beloved. The first disciples of Jesus Christ were primarily Jewish. And therefore, to follow Jesus would mean being ostracized by their family, being rejected by their community, and even worse, they would find being persecuted and prosecuted even unto death. And those who would be persecuting them would be family and friends. Those who would be persecuting them would be their teachers and their co-workers and their neighbors. And those who would be doing it would be thinking that they would be doing it in the name of Yahweh. Out of, out of religious zeal. And thus, and thus in the midst of doing it, would be questioning the disciples' understanding and faith. Now under such pressures, See, these are your friends and family. These are the people who taught you and trained you. These are your neighbors. And they don't want to kill you. They want you to turn back. And if you would just turn back, then all would be well. But if you don't turn back, then for them you are turning your back on God. And they believe that they have a responsibility before God to discipline you. Now, under that type of pressure, it would be easy to fall away. And many have, beloved. Through the years of Christianity, many have. Under that type of pressure, it is easy to fall back. It would be easy to justify turning away from Jesus. After all, you're doing this with the, with the realization that Jesus is gone. Jesus is gone. And the biggest challenge in the wake of Jesus going away was going to be not giving up. That was going to be the biggest challenge. To keep the faith. To don't stop believing. Beloved, I want to suggest to you something this morning. And that was not only the challenge for the first disciples. This is the great challenge of every age of discipleship. Every disciple in every age. Question. What is your greatest challenge this morning? I already know what it is. You don't have to tell me. Your greatest challenge is believing God and not falling away from confidence in his word. When others around you are succumbing to the pressures and temptations of the present world, how easy it is for you and I not to continue. 
And even in the early church, the, the pressure and the, and the persecution was too much for some. It was too much from, for some. Paul was in prison, and he knew he wasn't getting out. The promise that Jesus had made to his disciples was being realized by the apostle Paul. He was under a death sentence. And Paul sadly said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, speaking of a dear friend, Demas, Paul says that he had abandoned him having loved this present world. Paul was getting his head cut off. Demas said, I ain't with that. And having loved this present world, he forsook the apostle Paul. Perseverance was a challenge then. It is a challenge now, beloved. The Bible warns in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Because drifting away is a real thing. The allure of compromise, the difficulty of dealing with the world's pressure, it is not easy being unpopular amongst those you care about. It is hard to fight against that pressure. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. What is the greatest fear any Christian parent has this morning? That their children would fall away from the faith that they have so diligently tried to instill in them. If they're honest this morning, that is their greatest fear. Now, beloved, I'm not a statistic person. I'm just not. You don't hear me quoting a lot of statistics, you know, because I'm just not a statistic person when it comes to the things of God. Now, you know, analytics may be helpful in sports and the natural realm of, of business, but not so much when it comes to the supernatural and the spiritual things of God, in my humble opinion. Nevertheless, numbers do help sermons sound impressive. Make you think the preacher really did some research. So here we go. In a recent study <laughs> by the experts, I think they polled Pastor Phil. Seventy-five percent of young people fall away from the faith and leave the church after high school. Seventy-five percent, they say. And even those who still believe, 50% 50 don't believe that they should share their faith or challenge the faith of others. Beloved, falling away is a real concern. In this past year and a half, two years in which we've been dealing with COVID has again reminded us of the reality of people <clears throat> falling away, falling away from the church, but even more importantly, falling away from Jesus. And why is this? Well, it's twofold, I think, beloved, because it is a twofold strategy of Satan. This is what Satan desires. Two things. The first one is 
according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, is to keep people blinded from the truth of the gospel. That's his first agenda. That's the first point on his agenda, is to keep people blinded from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he also has a second tier to his agenda. For those he can't keep blinded from the truth of the gospel, then perhaps he can cause the believers to stumble, to cause them to be discouraged and cause them to fall away from following Jesus. This has been his MO from the beginning. It's his MO now. And so falling away is not a new phenomenon. It is not a COVID invention. It has always been a concern for the saints. It has always been a concern for the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus understood this more than any. And so he says, he emphasizes this point to his disciples. In the last hours, they are together before the crucifixion. He emphasizes, I am telling you this to keep you from falling away. Now, why hadn't they fallen away already? Why hadn't they fallen away already? Well, the reason they hadn't fallen away already is because Jesus had been with them. Oh, they were tempted in their hearts, but Jesus was with them. Jesus was with them. He was there keeping them. He was there sustaining them. He was there praying for them. He was there protecting them. And so what does he say? I got to go, guys. I got to go. And in order to keep you from falling away, I'm going to make you a promise. And the promise is that I'm sending another. I'm sending you help. I'm sending one who will be with you like I have been with you. In fact, he's going to do you even better. He's going to do you even more. John, John chapter 16 and verse 4. Jesus is reminding them of these things, that when their hour comes, that they may remember that he had told them, I do not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. I was with you. I didn't tell you these things because I was there protecting you, keeping you. But now I'm going. Jesus was going away, and he could sense their sorrow. He could sense their anxiety. And in verse 6, he says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Because they heard him, the difficulties that were coming, and saw the anxiety that they were experiencing, and he knew the mission would not be easy. And again, he promised them the difficulty. But he is also promising them deliverance, for he says in verse 17 that he would not be with them. But nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go away, I will send him to you. I'm going away, Jesus says, but that's okay. 
Holy Spirit will be with you. In fact, Holy Spirit would be better. It'd be to your advantage. Because Holy Spirit is coming and Holy Spirit isn't leaving. Holy Spirit isn't on the timetable. The hour of the Holy Spirit is not going to come. He's going to be with you. He won't leave you. He will comfort you. He will protect you. He will counsel you. He will help you accomplish the mission through you. But the mission would only be accomplished by Christ going away. Do you understand? Christ sends his disciples on mission, and he tells them that the only way for the mission to be accomplished is if I leave and Holy Spirit comes. I leave and Holy Spirit comes. Why? Because the only way the mission was going to be accomplished was by Christ going to the cross. Christ would have to die for the mission to be accomplished. So he has to go away. Holy Spirit has to come for the mission to be accomplished. Why? Because the mission is only accomplished by way of the cross and the difficulty of preaching the cross to a world that is hostile to it. Jesus must leave. But it's okay. Because Holy Spirit got you. And when he comes, it will be evident that he has come. When he comes, it will be evident that he is, has come, for he will bring two things that add clarity, confidence, and certainty to the mission. Holy Spirit is going to convict, and Holy Spirit is going to reveal. I'm going away, but it's okay. Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to be with you. He's not going to leave you. And through him, there will come conviction and revelation. Conviction and revelation. Two indispensable elements to the mission. Conviction and revelation. The Holy Spirit convicts what Jesus promised in verse 8, chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, speaking of Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the mission. This is the ministry of the disciples. It was to witness for Jesus. And this witness would come by way of convicting power. There can be no successful, beloved, ministry or faithful proclamation of a gospel witness without the convicting and exposing power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely essential. It's what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you forth, and your ministry is going to be fruitful, but only because Holy Spirit comes and convicts. True conviction is the work of Holy Spirit, not the pastor, not the evangelist, not the preacher, not mom and dad. The disciples preach the word. Holy Spirit brings conviction. Let's put it this way. The preacher stands in the pulpit and speaks the word. Holy Spirit comes down into the pew and he makes the word preach come alive in the hearts of the people. That is the work of Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts. It is the Holy Spirit who convinces. It is the Holy Spirit who comforts. 
It's the Holy Spirit who heals. It's the Holy Spirit who helps. It's the Holy Spirit who strengthens the weak. It's the Holy Spirit who mends the broken. Of our desire to save our children. We put them in private schools. We keep them from listening to this music. We forbid them from listening to watching this movie. We tell them they can't hang out with these people. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad, beloved. But if your children get saved, it is conviction of the Holy Spirit that does that. The best thing that you can do, on top of maybe doing some of those other things, is to pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's to pray that the Holy Spirit would move upon their lives so that they do not fall away. If there is any conviction in the word preached, any comfort, any consolation, any help, any hope, it is the work of Holy Spirit this morning, beloved. This is why Christ promised to send Holy Spirit with and in his disciples. For in their own selves, they would not just fall away. They would fail. Holy Spirit comes so that he would attend the word preached and thereby bring conviction to the world, the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, he says, the conviction of sin, he says in verse 9, because people do not believe in me. Sin, based in unbelief. Sin because they refuse to believe in Jesus. Holy Spirit will convict them of unbelief. That's what sin is rooted in. It's rooted in unbelief. We sin because we don't believe God. We sin because we lack faith in God. We sin because the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 20 that we hate the light and we don't come to the light because our deeds are evil and they will be exposed. Men and women are born faithless. Live faithless and will die faithless unless Holy Spirit comes and convicts of unbelief. And this is what Christ says. Holy Spirit comes. He's going to convict of unbelief. He's going to convict of unrighteousness. Verse 10, because I go to the Father, because Jesus goes to the Father, Holy Spirit convicts the world of the rightness of Jesus. Okay? Holy Spirit convicts the world of the rightness of Jesus. Holy Spirit convicts the world that Jesus is the only right way. In Matthew chapter 3, Verse 17, the Bible says that after Jesus' baptism, the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the only way that pleases God. That's it. Jesus is the only way that pleases God. Jesus is the only acceptable way into the pleasures of God. There is no other way. 
There is no other righteousness. And the reason Jesus says that Holy Spirit will convict them of righteousness is because he is able to go to the Father. And the only ones who can come to the Father have to come by his way. There is no other way. It is the Holy Spirit that teaches this. It's not man-made. It's not a human invention. Righteousness only in Jesus is what Holy Spirit says. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Memorize it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other way of righteousness. There is no righteousness by way of the law. Not the law, not the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments posted on the wall of the public school is not going to bring about the righteousness of God. It is not, beloved. Only Holy Spirit can do that through the preaching of Jesus Christ by faith. That's what Holy Spirit does. It brings conviction of sin. It brings the conviction of righteousness. And brings the conviction of judgment. Verse 11. Because the ruler of this world is condemned. Because the ruler of this world is already judged. Because of its unbelief and lack of righteousness, the world stands under the judgment of God. The ruler of this world, Satan, stands under the righteousness of God. This is an important point to make, beloved, because the world thought that they would judge Jesus. They would take Jesus and execute judgment on him. And so the world would crucify Jesus. The world that thought to judge the righteous Son of God is the world that now stands under judgment. This is what Holy Spirit says in Acts chapter 17, verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, Jesus Christ, that he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by what? Raising him from the dead. This Christ, whom you have crucified, this Christ, God has declared that he is Lord and judge. And judging Christ, Holy Spirit says, the world has now judged itself. Now, this is important because in our present world, when it comes to sin, righteousness, and judgment, in our present world, we like to believe that we know or that we can determine what sin is. We call one thing a sin. We call the other thing a choice. Because we think we know what sin is. We think we know what's right and what's wrong based on our own cultural and political leadings. Whether it's make America great again or Black Lives Matter. We think we know what justice is and what judgment people should or should not receive for their actions. We think we know. Beloved, the Bible reminds us this morning 
that sin, righteousness, and judgment are the determinations of God through the Spirit. And as much as you and I believe we get it right, I am so thankful this morning that it is God, Holy Spirit, who has the final word who has the final word on what righteousness is, on who's right, who has the final word on what justice is and who is to be judged, who has the final word on what sin is and who is to be forgiven. Why is this important? This is important because not only does he convict but he also reveals. In the midst of that conviction, Holy Spirit comes and he reveals the only hope in conviction, which is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I was thinking this week that for the last few weeks, we've been preaching on the Holy Spirit. And the more we preach on the Holy Spirit, the more we preach on Jesus. And I was thinking, man, I don't think I've preached as much on Jesus as I have in the last two weeks, and I've been focusing on the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts, and then he reveals. The point of the conviction, beloved, is that people would see their need. And in seeing their need, would see that that need is only met in Jesus he convicts of sin, and he reveals the cure, Jesus. Now listen, this is important because conviction without revelation is condemnation. Conviction without the revelation of Jesus Christ is condemnation. There is no hope. There is no help if all you have is conviction. But Jesus Christ promises that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will come not only convicting, but he will come revealing. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because there is conviction, but there is no condemnation because there is Jesus. Doesn't say there is no conviction. It says there's no condemnation. Because this is what Holy Spirit does. He convicts, and then he reveals. He reveals. Thankfully, the Bible says, beloved, that he reveals. He doesn't just convict. And you see what Jesus says about Holy Spirit? Beloved, you do know that it is the mercy of God. It is the grace of God that we are not left only in conviction and judgment. It is the mercy and the grace of God that Holy Spirit comes and there is also revelation of the knowledge and truth of Jesus. In verse 13, he reveals the truth of Jesus. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He is the spirit of truth. And as a spirit of truth, he reveals the truth so that the people of God will be guided and so that they can walk in truth. What truth? He says all truth. All truth. All truth. Now, beloved, when you see all truth, let's not get that confused with any truth, okay? He's not revealing any truth. He's revealing all truth, not any truth, all truth concerning Jesus, okay? You don't go and think, Holy Spirit is going to reveal to me the origins of the coronavirus. Holy Spirit is going to reveal to me who killed Malcolm X, okay? He's not revealing any truth. He's revealing all truth 
in all truth, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21, all truth that is found in Jesus. And what is that truth found in Jesus? The truth that Jesus is absolutely necessary. That Jesus is absolutely necessary. When the Holy Spirit speaks, it's all about Jesus. He speaks the things of Jesus that point people to Jesus, that says people need Jesus. That's what the Spirit says this morning. People need the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit says when he reveals Christ. He says he reveals what is absolutely necessary. Jesus. Dinner time, when I was growing up, was a great time. It was a great time in our home. My mother was a great cook. And so whether it was two people at the table or 20 people at the table, it was a great time. And it wasn't always a smorgasbord, beloved. Sometimes it was just lima beans and ham hocks. And I hate lima beans. But sometimes that's all it was. Lima beans and ham hocks. And, lit, and yet it didn't matter. What made dinner for me was the bread. Cornbread, fried bread. Fresh baked bread. If we had bread, we had a meal. As far as I was concerned, what made the meal a meal was the bread. And like the bread, beloved, it is Jesus who makes the difference. This is the ministry of Holy Spirit. Not to make much of himself. Not to point people to you or to point people to me, but to remind people that it is absolutely Jesus who makes the difference. It is Jesus that makes the difference. No bread, no meal, no Jesus, no deal. That's it. Nothing. No Jesus, no revelation, no Jesus, no salvation. This is the importance of Jesus. This is the truth of Jesus. It's what Holy Spirit does. He reveals Jesus and how absolutely necessary he is. This is the glory of Jesus. This is what he says, right? John 16, verse 14. What would the Spirit do? He will glorify me. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. It is the truth about the necessity of Jesus. It is the truth about the glory of Jesus. What is the glory of Jesus? The glory of Jesus is the cross of Christ. The glory of Jesus is the death and resurrection of Christ. And this is what Jesus promised Holy Spirit would do. Glorify Christ through the proclamation and preaching of the cross of Christ. You do know, you do know that this is what the disciples did. You do know this is what the disciples did. This is what... All the epistles from Peter and Paul and John and, and whoever else, whoever wrote Hebrews, all, all of the epistles are the work of the Holy Spirit explaining and glorifying the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what he promised the Holy Spirit would do. Disciples are the ones who declared the cross and what it means. The only reason that you have any idea what happened on the cross is because of the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, the work of the Holy Spirit through the disciples, the fulfillment of Jesus' promise in John chapter 16. 
that Holy Spirit would reveal to them what is about to take place. The disciples are the ones who declare the cross and what it means. The disciples are the ones who explain the glory of the resurrection. The disciples are the ones who declare victory of Jesus over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Therefore, is it any wonder why the devil wants to keep the world blind? Is it any wonder why the devil wants to get Christians, disciples, to be discouraged and to drift away. We are the ones who by the Spirit declare to the world. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The disciples do that. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, that we declare the glory of Christ and raised from the dead. We are the ones who in this world, by the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, boast, boast in the cross of Christ and the cross of Christ alone. That's the work of Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit is calling you and me to do this morning. You know what he's calling us to do? To come, come, come and behold the wondrous cross. To explore the depth of grace that come to you at such a cost. Where your boundless love conquered our boundless sin, and mercy's arms were open wide. Come and behold again the glories of Calvary. Beloved, the only way, the only way that you can behold the glories of Calvary is the Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus by way of the conviction of sin. This is the glory of Calvary. This is the glory of Christ. This is the glory with which we sing glory to his name. Glory to his name. Let's pray.